Well, I want to welcome you today to the continuation of our series called Pull Your Head Out of Your App. You don't have to look very far to realize that we struggle at times being constro- controlled and addicted to technology. You can go out to the restaurant and see a group of friends or family who are there supposed to be connecting with one another, having heartfelt conversation, and there they are with their faces down in the screen. And we live so much of our lives on the screen. We send messages, we make phone calls, we check bank account balances, we post pictures online, we like, we defriend, we friend. The list goes on and on and on and on. Technology, in many ways, is controlling our lives. And last week, as we kicked off the series, we made this statement. We said, technology is not the problem. It's not the issue. It's our uncritical usage of technology that wreaks havoc in our lives. Technology is not the issue. Apple's not from the devil. Facebook is not Satan. It is not technology that's the problem. It's our usage of technology that is creating problems in our lives. And last week we said that there are three basic responses that we can have to modern technology. It's the same in every generation. And those three responses are as follows. The first one is that we can uncritically embrace technology. That means that we never ask questions about our usage. We just go headfirst into every app, every new technology, and we find ourselves with that approach being controlled by technology and becoming addicted to it. Now, the second response is not the right response either. It's kind of the shift in the other direction, whereby we try to legalistically separate ourselves from technology. This is saying that, you know, because everybody else, when they use a phone, they get controlled by it. I'm not going to have a phone at all. Or the phone that I have is going to be a legend phone where you can only call. You can't text from it. Or we say things like, I'm going to get rid of TV in my house because everybody else that has TV struggles. Now, it's not saying that God can't lead you to do that, but when we just legalistically separate ourselves without asking questions, we find ourselves in bondage. And this literally can lead to a religious approach to life that controls us as well. So there's a third alternative with this series that we've been looking at. And the third alternative is this. It's a disciplined discernment or disciplined engagement with technology where we ask questions, we look at our habits, we wrestle through our usage to get us to a place where we're no longer controlled by it. And today, as we continue our series, we want to wrestle through this question. We want to look at our motivation behind our usage of technology. Every time we pick up a phone, every time we hop online, every time we look and watch a movie, there is a motivation behind our usage. And today, we want to wrestle through that motivation. I want you to think about your usage of technology just in the last week all the messages you sent, the things that you did at work, or the times that you used it when nobody else was around, what was the motivation behind that usage? Now, let me say it like this. Last, uh, yesterday, I went to the mall with my boys, and it's never a good idea in Silicon Valley to go to Great Mall on Saturday. It's just crazy, because it seems like just about everybody in the South Bay area goes there and we got to the Great Mall, and we were there to see a movie called Planes, uh, Planes Rescue and Fire. It's the new movie that's come out for kids. So I took my boys, 
And when we got there, we had several things that we needed to accomplish aside from see the movie. We needed to grab lunch before the movie, and I needed to get a new pair of jeans. Now, when you walk into the mall, they strategically place everything right at the eye level of the kids. Because you walk in, and there in front of you at the, at the entrance is a carousel that goes for about 15 seconds. You put four quarters in it and spins around three times, and then after the kids have gone around three times... They want you to put another four quarters in. And then you get out of there, and then there are the splat balls, right? And it's not just one splat ball that you need. You need three splat balls for $10. Here, would you like to try the splat ball? So the kids throw it, and they're like, Dad, I need a splat ball. My life will be perfect if I get a splat ball. Then you go further, further down, and there's the guy with the remote control helicopter that lands it on your kid's head, and they feel like they need that. And then you go to Ghirardelli, and they're giving out free chocolate. So the kid gets a free chocolate, and now they feel like they need to buy a box of chocolates. So the list goes on and on and on, and we're, we're going nowhere fast. We're not getting to our destination in the mall. And so finally, I stopped the parade, pulled the two boys together, and I said, what's our purpose? What's our motivation? I need an illustration for my message tomorrow. So this is why I'm doing this. I'm just kidding. I didn't say that. But I said, what's our motivation behind being here at the mall? My son came and goes, grab lunch for you to get jeans and to watch a movie. And I'm like, okay, then why are we doing all this other stuff? And the reality is your motivation really does matter. See, a lot of people go to the mall without knowing why they go to the mall. And what happens? They walk out with seven bags of clothes, $2,000 later, clothes that they did not need to impress people they do not know. That's the reality. That motivation really does matter. And when it comes to technology or it comes to the mall or it comes to any endeavor in our lives, two people can be doing the exact same thing from different motivations and eventually they'll end up at a different destination. And here's why motivation matters. Because motivation influences direction, which ultimately determines our destination. And so we want to pause just for one day in this series and look at our motivation behind why we use technology. Now, every time you pick up a phone or every time you use technology, there are two primary technological expressions, if you're taking notes, and these two things that we can do with technology where motivation matters is, number one, we can create it, and number two, we can use it. We can create it and we can use it. And this comes all the way from the beginning of the Bible in Genesis chapter 1, verse 27 and 28. I want us to see what creation talks about. It says in Genesis 1, 27. So God created humankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them, male and female. He created them. And then God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth, subdue it, rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air and over every other living creature that moves on the ground. See, when God made humanity at the end of creation, he made everything else. He separated the light from darkness. He made all the cows that run along the ground. He made all the birds in the sea. And God created all of what you and I can lay our eyes on, aside from the things that we've reconstructed with technology. But God created it with a spoken word. And the last thing he makes is man and woman. And he makes us different. And scripture says that he's placed his image inside of us, The same way a son or a daughter bears the image of their parents, we bear the image of God. And as God has made us in his image, this desire to create, this desire to innovate, the desire to use planet earth comes out of his stamp upon us. 
And his command, which is known as like the great mandate God gives to humanity, he says, go forth, make babies, build cities, fill the earth, and make it a better place. And today, our usage of technology and our creation of technology and the desire to build cities and form together and fill the earth flows out of the stamp and design that God has placed upon our lives. So it's a good thing. Technology is not the problem. It's our uncritical embrace of technology that's the issue. Now, here's what I want us to see. God gives this mandate to humanity prior to the fall, prior to any sin entering planet Earth. And so here's this mandate to go forth. And if we never sinned, if we never made a mistake, if Adam and Eve hadn't blown it, I'm sure one of us would have, but if we had never sinned, then what would have happened is every technological expression that we would have made would have come from a pure motivation. But that's not our reality. What happened was, a couple chapters later in scripture, there was the fall, where Adam and Eve chose to do something that God commanded them not to do. And now, as a result, every time we create, every time we use technology, we can either do it from a good heart or from an evil heart, from a pure heart or from the wrong motives and intentions. And I want us today to see two temptations with technology, and I want us to see two opportunities to be leveraged as we look at several passages of Scripture. And the first passage I want us to look at is found in Genesis chapter 3, right at the moment of the fall. Now, let me tell you the context of what's happening. God sets the first man and woman, Adam and Eve, into a garden. And he says to them, he says, it's all yours. You can have and partake of any piece of fruit in this garden, except this one tree, which is the knowledge of good and evil. And if you eat of that tree, surely you will die. Now think about it. If there's all this opportunity, all this freedom, it just makes sense that we, you know, our forefathers would have eaten from everything else. But there in the garden was this snake that we believe that is the enemy that Satan goes and he tries to tempt Adam and Eve of that one tree. And they go back and forth. Long story made short. You should go back and read the passage of scripture. But long story made short, Adam and Eve eat of the fruit. And that's where we see in Genesis chapter three, verse six, what happens. It says, when the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some, she ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate it. And now in that moment, the first moment, first decision of disobedience to God. Sin has entered into the world. And here's what happens. The first thing that happens to them after eating the fruit, it says, then the eyes of both of them were opened and they realized that they were naked. It doesn't really describe what that meant before this moment. All we know is that Adam and Eve had been there. They could have been 10 years. It could have been 100 years. It could have been 10,000 years, but they were there And they had never done anything wrong. And in that moment, when they choose to disobey God and eat of the fruit that he said not to eat, the first thing they see is their nakedness. The first moment is they recognize their brokenness. And now all of a sudden, there is insecurity and there is shame that enters into the human race the moment that Adam and Eve eat of the fruit. And I want us to see what they do when they recognize that they're naked. It says, so they sewed fig leaves together, made themselves the first Speedo and Bikini, 
or made coverings for themselves. Some of you guys were looking for an opportunity, men, like, uh, you know, some, some opportunity to figure out how you could wear a Speedo. There it is, right there in the Bible. Adam wore the first Speedo in Genesis chapter 1, verse number 7. So they sewed fig leaves together, and they made coverings for themselves. The first technological creation, the first rearranging of the elements that we see in scripture is man and woman taking fig leaves, putting them together to cover up their nakedness, to cover up their shame, to cover up their insecurities. And from the beginning of time, every generation has to deal now with this shame that enters into the human race as a result of our brokenness. We see things or we do things that we know that we should not see or do. We think thoughts that we know are not pure thoughts. We, we know that our lives are not so perfect. But there now is this reality by which Adam and Eve have to manage their brokenness. They have to put forth the image that they have it together when they really don't. And the first thing that they do is to create something from the elements to cover up their shame. And the first temptation for you and I when it comes to technology is to use technology to cover up our insecurities, to use technology to cover up our insecurities. Let's just take some of the current forms of technology. You have Facebook, you have Instagram, you have Twitter, you have, you know, MySpace, which nobody really uses anymore. You you have all these technologies that we can use in our generation. And have you ever noticed that a part of what you and I are tempted to do is to use all of these technologies for image management, to portray an image to the rest of the world that we really have it together when we don't? I'll make myself an example, okay? So um, there was this one time, and I I see it so clearly because one of my friends called me out on it. There was this one time um, I had just been lifting weights in the morning, and I was finished in my garage, so I kind of rearranged it and got all the stuff out, like kids' bikes and everything out. And I took a picture of it, and I posted it online. I'm like, I've got to work out. I just have to do this. And um, hashtag awesome, hashtag look at my biceps, hashtag I'm in great shape, all of these um, things that you know, we put out and then my friend, he's like, you got to do what? Post pictures online so people think that you're, that you work out and and never recognizing that probably the night before I'd had a piece of cheesecake or, you know, five pieces of Ghirardelli chocolate, but hashtag I just worked out. See, we do that, right? And every one of our lives can be separated into two categories. There's that highlight reel of our lives It's the things that we want everybody else to see. And we can magnify the highlight reel online. You know, you go to a big event and you get a picture with somebody who's famous. And then you put a picture of you and that person with a selfie and a hashtag so that everybody knows that you're with them. Just had lunch with Justin Bieber. Aren't I awesome? Hashtag BFF. You know, we we try to portray this image that we have it together, that we know people that we really don't know, so that other people think that we're more important and we're better than we really are. So we put out this highlight reel of our lives, and everybody else is doing the exact same thing too, right? So if they're doing it, I have to do it as well. It's necessary because everybody's going to think that I don't have it together, and they obviously have it together. Now, here's what happens. When we compare our lives to their lives, what do we compare? Do we compare our highlight reel to their highlight reel? No, we compare our behind the scenes 
the times where we're about to sell our kids on Craigslist or the times that we're in fights with our spouses or those emotions and that, that issue at work that we keep dealing with or that sin from our past. We compare our insecurities and our brokenness with everybody else's highlight reel. And here's what just happened. We self-perpetuated our insecurity. So by trying to make ourselves feel better about ourselves, we put out an image, then we looked at somebody else's image, and then we got ourselves into this vicious cycle, and we're using technology to try to cover up what's on the inside. I heard this week, again, if you're a teenager or a student, please don't judge me that I'm just getting um, uh, privy to new information and knowledge. But I heard about this, this thing called catfish. Have you guys ever seen the show Catfish? Uh, or heard about it. Okay, so it's when somebody goes online and they post a profile picture that's really not themselves, or it's like an avatar or an airbrush picture, so you look more attractive, or a profile picture that that's really not who you are, and then they get somebody to start dating them, and then afterwards they they actually come out as this is really who I am. Hey, it works. That's how I got Stacy to marry me. <laughs> Just kidding about that one, but. But it's amazing how we portray that image. I wonder if we found that profile pic that was like, you know, 50 pounds ago, or if we're portraying an image that's really not true. And there's all of this struggle that happens as a result. There are stories of students who are taking their lives because of insecurity that's created and bullying that's been created through social media. That if your ratio of number of people that follow you to the number of people that you follow is off, and you follow more than follow you, then all of a sudden your life, your life is in a horrible situation. And maybe you need to post a picture online from somebody else's account because it'll get more likes instead of posting it from your account and it's not going to get as many likes. Hey, listen, this may not be you, but this is so many of us that we live our lives trying to use technology to mask what's going on on the inside. I wonder if you just stop and pause and think about your usage of technology just in the last week, if you're using it to cover up your insecurities. Temptation number one. Temptation number two is different though. And we find this one in Genesis chapter 11. And I want to tell you the story here that we find some of our forefathers struggling through and for mothers. We see in Genesis chapter 11, this great mandate that God gives people spread throughout the earth and they go to the city called Babel and they start building this massive tower. And their goal in building the massive tower is not to bless and to serve others, but what we see in Genesis chapter 11, that they had an entirely different motivation. Genesis chapter 11, verse number three, it says, then they said to each other, come, let's make some bricks and bake them thoroughly. So they used brick instead of stone and tar for mortar. And then they said, come, let us build ourselves a city with a tower that reaches to the heavens and a fills coffee on the first floor so that we may make a name for ourselves. Otherwise we will be scattered over the entire earth. Their motivation in building this great tower was not so that they could create a city so that people's lives could be better, but it was so that they could build a name for themselves. And the second temptation that you and I face, both with creation and usage of technology, is to take credit and to build a name for ourselves. It's to use technology to take credit and to build a name for ourselves. Some of these folks are called entrepreneurs where they want to be a one-hit wonder. 
to get 15 million users on your app and sell it for $150 million and end up on the cover of TechCrunch so that everybody knows how awesome you are to recognize your fame. Now, some of you don't create technology. You're like, that doesn't really apply to me. But all of us are creating a life. We're building a reputation by how we interact with others. And when we begin to look at our motivation, the question becomes, what am I building and why am I building it? Am I building a life that can be leveraged for the good of others or am I building a life to serve and to bless those around me or am I building that life so that people would recognize me, so that I would be famous, so that I would be liked? And so many of us are so concerned with likes and followers instead of being concerned with what our lives and what our character and who we are actually becoming like and what's going on in the inside of our lives. You know, there is a book called Platform, and it's a great book, and it's this movement of how you can build a platform for yourself to stand on. How do you get more followers? How do you get people to like your blog? How do you get people to to pay attention to what you have to say? But the presumption or the reality of that book or that mentality is that you're doing it for the right reasons. See, one person can build a platform for all the wrong reasons, and one person can build a platform for all the right reasons. And the problem for so many of us is we don't realize the detriments of building a platform for the wrong reasons until we get down the road a few years. And we recognize that it's never enough. When your motivation for creation and usage of technology is to build a name for yourself, it's never enough. There will never be enough people who like you. There will never be enough people who follow you. There will never be enough retweets or likes of your pictures online. There will never be enough that when that's your motivation, you create for yourself a misery that self-perpetuates that you can't get out of. So many of us, even here in Silicon Valley, have to wrestle through. What is our motivation behind the things that we're creating in our usage of technology. And maybe today, God is giving us an opportunity to stop and to pause and to wrestle through the intention of our hearts, which influences our direction and ultimately our destination. Did you know that uh, our, our, our Sunnyvale campus over at Sunnyvale Community Center is 2.5 miles or 3.5 miles from the garage where Steve Wozniak and Steve Jobs started Apple, which is kind of crazy to think about. And that's just one story of what has come out of Silicon Valley. And you can have two people who start a company with entirely different motivations for entirely different reasons. And it's amazing to me to recognize how so many entrepreneurs, and this is just a shameless plug for our Elio conference coming up this Saturday. Uh, Part of the reason that we're doing this conference is to give entrepreneurs a different lens to view what they create. But it's interesting here in Silicon Valley, how many entrepreneurs want to be the next Steve Jobs or want to be the next Mark Zuckerberg to create something that gets recognized and they become famous for their creation. But when you look at Steve Jobs or you look at Mark Zuckerberg or you look at so many entrepreneurs that everybody else wants to be like, they didn't become that person by starting out saying, how can I be the next Steve Jobs or how can I be the next Mark Zuckerberg? They started out by thinking, how can I make a difference? How can I create a product that influences and changes the world? Mark Zuckerberg turned down 
a large sum of money and said, there's no amount of money that you could give to me for this product because he was so passionate about what he was creating to use it to be leveraged to make a difference here in planet Earth. And your motivation when you're starting, if it's from an impure intent, doesn't get you to your desired destination. And today, my hope is that we would begin to wrestle through both creation and usage of technology to ask the why question and What we find in scripture is a better way, is another alternative and opportunity for us. And to discover that, I want to look at John chapter 3 in verse number 26 through 36. Now, let me tell you the story and the context of this particular passage of scripture. John the Baptist was kind of a crazy guy. Scripture says that he lived in the wilderness and ate bugs. That was his diet. But people started listening to his teaching and he was a prophet where he was speaking on behalf of God, and people started following him. It was large groups of people that were following this guy, John the Baptist. Now, what happens after John the Baptist's ministry starts to build, Jesus comes along. Jesus is the biological cousin of John the Baptist, and a bunch of people who, start, who are following John the Baptist leave him, and then they go and they start following Jesus. And in the story in John chapter 3, verse 26, John's followers get a little bit upset. They're like, all of these people are defriending you, John, to start following Jesus. All of these people stopped liking your baptism pictures, and now they're liking Jesus' baptism pictures. What's up? What's going on? In verse number 26, it says, so they came to John and said to him, Rabbi, which means teacher, the man who is with you on the other side of the Jordan, the one you testified, look, he's baptizing and everybody's going to him. To this, John replied, a person can only receive what is given to them from heaven. And you yourselves can testify that I said, I'm not the Messiah. See, there was a difference between one who would speak about God and who would actually be God himself. The whole purpose and intent of the guy who speaks about God is to point the direction to this Messiah who would come down. And he says, you know, I'm not the one that this is all about. I'm just here to point to the one who this whole thing is about. I'm sent ahead of him, and the bride belongs to the bridegroom. Now watch this image that he uses. He says, but the friend who attends the bridegroom waits and listens for him and is full of joy when he hears the bridegroom's voice. He's saying that I'm not even as important as somebody that's in the wedding. I'm just the guy that's the friend of the person that's getting married. I'm carrying his water and his bag, and I am anxiously awaiting for that moment that he would come so that I can begin to leverage my life for his glory, for his recognition. And then he makes this statement. He says, he must become greater and I must become less. More of him, more attention to his ministry, more of his influence here on planet earth and less of me. More, more glory for him, more fame for him, and less glory for me. He must increase and I must decrease. And we see tucked right here in John the Baptist is this heart that I think God wants to be in all of us when it comes to our usage of technology and the framework through which we, lend, we view every bit of influence and everything that's been placed into our hands. And there are two things I just want to pull out really quickly here. 
that we can begin to see as opportunities for our lives and specifically in the area of technology. And the first one is to use technology to spread God's love and his name to the ends of the earth, to spread his love and his name. Let me say it like this. I was in Laos a couple years ago. We had hiked five hours into this jungle that had never heard about the message of Jesus, never heard of his love or the hope that he provides. Yet in this small village where these people lived that we hiked into for hours, there were teenagers with cell phones that were standing behind the huts where we were staying that did not have beds. There's no AC, no, not even a light in the place we were staying, but they had cell phones and they were watching YouTube videos on their cell phones. And you think about that, that we live in a time, in a day and age where we have more potential with technology to spread God's love, to spread his message to the ends of the earth than we have in any other generation in human history. I know a lot of you who come to South Bay, you're not followers of Jesus. Maybe instead of saying God's love and his name, maybe for you it's just saying to spread love, to use technology to spread love to the ends of the earth. But for those of us who follow Jesus, technology affords us an opportunity to make a difference here on planet earth. I love the story of Life Church. It's this church in Oklahoma City that started there in that town and is now reaching close to 80,000 people every single week in campuses and locations all across the country. But this church recognized that we had a new opportunity with technology to give the Bible, to give God's word to people through phones, through computers, and they created an app that many of us have on our phones called the Bible app. And did you know that the Bible app It has over 150 million downloads, and they are approaching one day where they will have over a billion downloads with an app that was created by a local church in Oklahoma City, Oklahoma, that one day close to one-seventh of humanity's population could have an app that was created by a local church. And you think if that could happen from Oklahoma City, what God could do in Silicon Valley, if we leverage the technology that's been placed into our hands to use it to bless and to spread God's love here on planet Earth. Now, let me clarify for a second. I'm not talking about being a weirdo, okay? I'm not talking about putting out statements like God answers an email. You know, you remember how there used to be like Christian bumper stickers or where I grew up, there was a church and it had, they would always put these like really cheesy signs on, on and it would be like, you know, God answers an email or, you know, things like, um, I can't even go on. There's so many, it's so bad. It's so pitiful. But, but you, you get the idea that sometimes Christians are really lame with the things that they do with technology. It's like, my life is bad. Ba, ba, ba. Pray for me today. Sad face. Hoping somebody asks what's wrong with you. You know, it, I'm not talking about leveraging technology in a weird way. I'm talking about using it to spread helpful information, to encourage the people in your life, to give humor, to give joy to people's lives, and taking it and saying, how can I leverage what's in my hands to make a difference in the lives of people around me? Maybe sometimes it's, it's posting a video or a message that was influential in your life online so that another person in your sphere of influence can use it. I know that for all of us, there are different applications of how We can use technology to spread God's love in his name. But the second thing I want us to see that we can do with technology is that we can use it to bless and to serve people who are in need. That we can take technology and we can use it to bless 
and to serve people who are in need. Maybe they're disconnected from community and you can use Meetup to help people who are currently not connected in community to build friendships. Maybe you can use technology like the guy who created Tom's, the shoes that so many of us have, created this plan where when you buy one pair of Tom's here in the States or in a wealthier nation, one pair of shoes goes overseas to somebody who's in need or Warby Parker glasses that you can buy a pair of glasses and somebody on the other side of the country or on the other side of the world that's struggling financially, they would get a free pair of glasses and it would leverage technology to bless those in need. Or organizations like Charity Water that see that there are people who don't have clean water to drink and through extra resources that we have, we can leverage those resources to help people who don't have access to clean water. See, there are a myriad of ways that we can use technology. And if we can create ways to use technology to serve our self-interest, we can also create technology to use and create ways to bless and to serve those who are in need. Maybe for you this week, it's sending an encouraging text to somebody in your life who's walking through a difficult season to tell them that you're praying for them. Maybe for you, it's finding somebody in your life that, uh, that doesn't have access to a car and you're driving them to work with you. And during that time, you're caring for them and investing in their life. Today, I want you to begin to think about technology that's in your hands as a gift from God. And it's not there to control you. You control it. And you can begin to change the way that you see technology to leverage it to serve and to bless others. And I want to give you one small way that you can do this. You know that if you live in a home or an apartment, that's a form of technology. And there are computers and DVD players in your home that can be used to make a difference. In fact, we have countless number of people at South Bay who've recognized this and have hosted life groups. And there are people that have come to faith that have been restored to community, that have had marriages changed, that have been changed forever by people at South Bay who have leveraged the technologies in their home to serve and bless other people. And now, right now, we have an incredible opportunity as a church and as individuals to leverage technology to use it this fall as we're hoping to launch 130 life groups. And you're gonna see a short video in just a moment about this. But simply by making your home available for two hours a week, pressing play on a DVD player and leading a short discussion afterwards through our fall campaign called Spirituality for the Rest of Us, you can leverage the technology that's in your hands to bless others. Now, let me say this to you, okay? The North San Jose campus and Sunnyvale campus, we are together working towards this goal of 130 life groups. But did you know something? It's kind of a shame. Sunnyvale is ahead of us in this process, those of us who are at the North San Jose campus. So not that we're competing against Sunnyvale from North San Jose, but I'm just saying today is an opportunity for us to begin to open up our homes, our technology to be leveraged to bless others. I want to encourage you to go back this week and to stop and to pause. And every time you pick up technology to ask the why question, to wrestle through your motivation And to ask yourself, are you using this technology to cover up your insecurities or to build a name for yourself? Or are you using this technology to bless and to serve those around you who are in need? And could you imagine what could happen for all of us if we were to flip our our lens through which we view our usage and to truly check our hearts? See, listen, 
God's not as concerned with what you do as he is with who you are. He's concerned with your heart condition. And this whole series is not about technology. This series is about your heart and it's about my heart. And what God wants in our lives is first place in our heart. And so many of us are living our lives in control or being controlled by technology because we haven't dealt with what's on the inside. And today is an opportunity to do that. You know, some of us who are here today, if we're honest with ourselves when it comes to this whole God thing, we've never come to a place where we've actually come to terms with what we believe about God, who he is, what his character is like. You know, my belief is that God, when we look at scripture, is a God of love that cares personally about you. He's not this cosmic killjoy waiting to make your life difficult. He's a God that wants to give freedom, that wants to give joy, that wants to give peace. And the recognition is that all the way back to Adam and Eve, there's brokenness in our lives. There's shame, there's guilt, there's jealousy, there's anger that fills our lives. We try to cover up. We've tried to cover up from the beginning of time. And if Adam and Eve didn't do it with fig leaves, we would have done it with something else. And we're doing it even in our generation with our technology. But the real problem is not the nakedness that Adam and Eve had. It was their heart's condition. And God came to provide a covering that is greater than fig leaves. God would give a covering that would be full and final to all who would receive it for the sin and shame in our hearts. And that would be that he would step down from heaven to earth. And that's why John the Baptist recognized that this whole thing wasn't about him. He would step from heaven to earth and he would die on a cross after living 33 perfect years here on planet earth. And as he would die, he would have nails in his hands and his feet and a crown of thorns in his his head and blood would be spilled out from his body and his blood was spilled out as it was spilled would be an opportunity for a covering for your sin and my shame that all who would place faith in him not just his death but the fact that he would be placed into a grave and three days later triumph over the grave that God would give an opportunity for covering of our sin so that shame doesn't have to control our lives anymore So that we can stand before God, even though there is brokenness in our past, we can stand before him forgiven today. And my question for you is, have you ever received that gift that he wants to give to your life of his death and resurrection on a cross? Today you can do that by placing your faith in what Jesus has done on a cross. Scripture says, for all who believe in him that confess his name, he gives right to become children of God. That as we believe in his name, We begin relationship with God that goes from this moment for all of eternity. I wonder today if you would receive that gift that you would place your trust in Jesus and that you would choose to follow him with your life. He wants to step in to your life and change your destiny as you give control to him. I want to invite us all to close our eyes and pray for just a moment as we wrap up our time together. If you're here today and that's you and you recognize your need for God that you have never placed your trust in him, today can be the day of your salvation. Today can be the day that you trust in him for the first time. And if that's your heart's condition, I just want to ask you to say a prayer to God right now in this moment that goes like this. God, I trust in you. I believe that you died on a cross for my sins. Jesus, I believe that you rose again from the dead. And today I'm giving you the keys to my life. Thank you that you cover my sin and you cover my past. And I want to give you control. I choose to follow you. Thank you for the life that you give today. My life is yours. I receive your forgiveness. If you prayed that prayer with every eye closed and every head bowed, would you just lift your hand up just as a way of saying, I put my trust in Jesus today for my life, 
for the covering of my sins. I see your hands over here to the right and to the left is your way of saying, God, I'm putting my trust in you. I'm giving my life to you. Others of us who are here today who are followers of Jesus, today it's a check in our motivation. Let this be a moment that you can say to God, God, let me use technology and create technology from a heart that is pure. Just confess to him your desire that he would change your heart so that you could do it from the right place, a place that leads to freedom. Jesus, thank you for the freedom that you give and the opportunity that we have today to leverage technology to make a difference and to gain control so that our lives are no longer controlled by technology, but we control it. Thank you that you are our master, that you love us and you are kind and you give us freedom and you give us joy and peace. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.